Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We're going to, uh, this morning, continue our Genesis series, which we've been going on for a little while here, and follow up to Genesis 24. So this morning we're going to read from Genesis 24, the whole chapter. It's quite a long one. Um, so if you want to read along with me, we've got it up on the screen or in your Bibles on the phone. If you don't have access to a Bible, there's some baskets in the, in the, in the aisles uh, that you can grab. And if you don't own a Bible and you like one, you can take that home. That's our gift to you. We'd really love you to get involved in that and have a read during the week. So let's read from Genesis 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come, to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way down to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I might have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah who was the wife of Abraham's mother, brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered, her, lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord has made his journey successful. 
When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there a room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she, said, and she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, he had heard that, and he had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. The food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He's become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan to get a wife for my son. And then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? And he replied, Lord, before whom I've walked the Lord, who before whom I've walked faithfully, will send his angel with you and make your journey a success, so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. You'll be released from my oath if when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you. Then you'll be released from my oath. And when I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I've come. See, I'm standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one Lord that the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar in her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please give me a drink. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if I'm not, and if not, tell me also, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her, go. And let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. 
Then the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so. Then you go to your master. But her brother and mother replied, I said that. But he said to them, Do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and they asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got out from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife and loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you both? Great to hear from you. So this morning we're starting a, well, a new series, or actually part three of this series through the book of Genesis, as we've just heard. When we were back at the Tumar Centre, we did Genesis chapters 1 to 11, where we saw that God created this perfect world. He put man and woman in it. He gave them a command to fill the earth, to reign over the birds and the fish and the animals, and just to do anything they wanted except to eat the fruit of one particular tree. Then we read how Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate the fruit of that particular tree and so sin or evil or corruption entered the world and um, it was all downhill from there. Uh, man became very wicked, disobeying God, doing evil in God's eyes. So God being holy and just and righteous decided that there had to be judgment, had to be consequences for people's uh, evil and so he decided to wipe out mankind with a great flood. But he saved the world through one man called Noah. And that was really a miniaturised version of the whole story of human history that we saw just uh, condensed there into those first 11 chapters. Um, God made it perfect. People mess it up. Uh, there's always consequences for sin. Uh, the consequences of sin, as we know, is death. But God sent Jesus so to pay the price for everyone's sin so that people don't have to die. If they choose to believe in him, they can have eternal life, which is awesome news, and that's why we're here today. Of course, not everyone will be saved because we do get a free, free will, and some people decide just to do their own thing and accept the consequences of that. But there is a way, God has provided a way for everyone to be saved through one man, which is Jesus. So Genesis 1 to 11 was a, a condensed version, a preview of the bigger story to come. And then we did Genesis part 2, where we looked at the life of Abraham. 
where, which is the beginning of the rest, where God chose one man called Abraham. He called him, he set him apart, he made him a promise that through his descendants uh, the whole world could be saved. And the rest of the Bible follows that, uh, that storyline through Abraham's uh, son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob, who was later named Israel, and then Israel's children, literally the children of Israel. And we follow their history all the way through slavery in Egypt and the return to the promised land and the kings and the prophets and the exile and the return all the way down to a guy called Jesus. So we looked at chapters 1 to 11, that was part 1. We looked at the life of Abraham and the promise that God made to him that begins the rest of the story, that was part 2. And now part 3, where we look at the lives of Isaac and Jacob. Later we will return again and finish off the book of Genesis with part 4, looking at the life of Joseph, an exceptional young man, a life well worth examining and learning from. But for now, part 3, Isaac and Jacob. And they are significant because God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Abraham did have other children. He'd already had Ishmael, you know, that he decided he'd solve the problem himself and make up his own solution. But God had said, no, no, Isaac is the child of the promise. Isaac is the one through whom the world will be blessed. And then Abraham later married Keturah and had a whole bunch of kids with her. Um, But Isaac was the one where the storyline follows. So we begin this series, part three, with Abraham as a very old man wanting to provide for his son Isaac. Abraham obviously knew all about the promises of God. He knew that Isaac was like the chosen one, the one through whom God's plan would be fulfilled. And so Abraham, being a pretty smart guy, realised that if Isaac was to have any descendants, he needed to have a wife. Good job, Abraham. So the title of this message is How Isaac Met Rebecca. Now this might seem like just a nice story of of how they met, an interesting bit of Old Testament history, and it is indeed that. But if we think that's all it is, we can often miss some more depth to it, things that are actually applicable to us here today. 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for us. Now, in today's world, it's fair to say there are some people who like to cherry-pick the verses which they think are important, and it's maybe more convenient just to overlook some of the other passages, you know, the ones about sin and immorality and drunkenness and gossip and giving and all that inconvenient stuff. But the Bible says all Scripture is inspired and useful, so there's always something for us to learn, even just from an interesting love story from the Old Testament. So this chapter doesn't only tell us how Isaac met Rebecca, it also has some useful lessons and practical input for us as well. Every married couple will have an interesting story of how they met. If you go to table builders later and if there happens to be a lull in the conversation, turn to a couple and say, how did you guys meet? And you'll hear some great stories, you'll get to know people a little bit better. Let me share with you some interesting stories of different couples and how they met their future husband or wife. One lady named Maria explains how her parents went to a funeral. While they were at the funeral, they met some old friends they hadn't seen for many years. They got talking and they found out that their friends had a son who was single. So Maria's parents passed along her phone number for the son, and so Maria gets a phone call from this guy asking for a blind date. So it turned out it worked out and they got married, but how would you be? Your parents at a funeral setting you up on a blind date. (laughs) Another girl, she was an actor. She, played, she was cast to play the lead role in a, in a local play 
about a brother and a sister. Now, the guy who was cast to play her brother, well, they fell in love and ended up getting married, and the photographer titled their wedding album From Brother and Sister to Husband and Wife. (laughs) Imagine trying to explain that one to your friends. There was a woman named Kelly. She was on a plane moving to a new city to start a new job, and she didn't know anyone in this new city, but the lady she was sitting next to on the plane was from that city. She was an older lady, and so she took Kelly's number and said, I'll pass it along to my daughter, and she can give you a call. She's about your age, and she can introduce you to her circle of friends and help you get to know some people. And Kelly said that'd be great. Well, a few weeks went by, and she hadn't heard anything, and then she got a phone call from a man who said, this might seem kind of weird, but my mum met you on the plane, and she said, you're really nice, and I should ask you out. Um, Turned out Kelly was lonely and said yes, and they got married, but um, that one worked out all right. A woman called Tara, not Tara of the bright red hair, but another woman called Tara, and I'll just read read out her story. She says, I first noticed my husband on the train going to work. He offered to carry a baby carriage up the stairs for a mum who couldn't handle it on her own. I knew then that he was one of the good guys. After that, I would look out for him each day. One day, I realised we both got off at the same stop and walked into the same building and took the same elevator. He worked just two floors above me. We started dating, and the rest is history still in the making. A chemistry teacher at a high school told a story about a brilliant but lazy boy in her class. This boy never tried at all, and surprise, surprise, he failed chemistry. So the following year, he was back in her class again, and she decided she needed to do something. So she sat this boy next to a very clever and very attractive young girl. Now, this guy tried extremely hard because he wanted to impress the girl. Not only did he pass chemistry, but they're now married with two children. So he talked about teachers going above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, One older, retired guy wrote this. I was a graduate teaching assistant. My office mate left for a class and dropped his checkbook. I had the same class, so I picked it up to give it to him. I walked into class and he was on the other side of the room. Me to him, I have your checkbook. Him to me, throw it to me. So I threw it to him and it sailed across the room far away from him. As he walked to the back of the room to pick it up, a snarky girl, a couple of rows, said, boy, you're a lousy shot. Me. Awkward silence. A couple of weeks later, I wanted to go to a concert. The only person I could think of who even might be interested was the snarky girl. So I asked her, and in a moment of weakness, she said yes. Our 50th wedding anniversary is next year, but time hath not dulled her snarkiness. (laughs) And finally, Joel was a young man with a very nice car, and driving one day, he saw an attractive girl on the footpath, and he was so busy looking at the girl, he he drove into another vehicle. So the attractive girl came to see if he was okay. Joel said, oh, I was just distracted. And she said, by what? And Joel said, well, to be honest, I was looking at you. So anyway, she liked that, so they went out. So guys, watch the road, but it's okay to be honest. So today's passage is about how Isaac met Rebecca. So Abraham knew his wife, knew that his daughter, his son Isaac, needed a wife, but he didn't want her to marry one of the local women. Now, why is that? Was he a racist? Did he think he was too good for all of them? No, Abraham knew that the most important thing in a wife for his son was to find someone who loved and served God. So there are some things in a marriage that you might uh, compromise, you might agree to disagree, you might have a different 
disagree on your favourite TV program or your favourite food or your favourite footy team. Uh, maybe even you can disagree on politics and you know at least one of you will go to bed happy every election night. But you can never compromise your devotion to God. 2 Corinthians 6 makes this clear for us. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So other passages of the Bible make it clear that we should love everyone, including unbelievers, including people who are different to us. We should love them enough to be compassionate and kind and to lead them to repentance. But don't marry them. If you love God and serve God, then the most important quality you can look for in a prospective husband or wife is someone who loves God and serves God. So Abraham wanted a bride for Isaac, but not a woman from the local tribes. Now, from a convenient human uh, point of view, it would have made a whole lot of sense just to marry one of the, one of the local women. He could have um, you know, strengthened his relationship with his neighbours. He could have given Isaac more of a, a legal hold on the land, you know, a claim to the land, as well as just God's promise. Uh, he could have um, you know, been one of the boys and source of income. There's a whole lot of reasons why it would have made sense just to marry one of the local women. But Abraham knew as King Solomon found out many years later, that having a wife who does not love and serve and obey God is too much of a distraction for a man. One book compares a healthy Christian marriage to braided hair. Interesting analogy. I know it looks like two strands, but it's not. I I tried to braid my hair this morning as an illustration for you all, but it um, didn't work. But apparently... Braided hair actually requires a third strand. It is impossible to braid your hair with only two strands. So God is like the third strand who holds the marriage together. Abraham knew that serving God and obeying God was more important than all of those other factors put together. So he told his servant to go and find a bride from my own country, my own family. And he also told his servant, don't take Isaac back there to marry her. You have to bring her here. See, Abraham knew that God had called him to this land. God had promised him this land. This was God's commandment. This was part of God's plan. So he said to his servant, don't disobey God. Don't turn your back on God's plan, even if it might seem more convenient. See, God's commandments are always more important than our plans. And if our ideas don't fit in with God's instructions then we need to change. See, God is God, and we are not, and that's an important lesson to apply to every aspect of life. So the servant left on his journey. Notice we don't even know this servant's name. Uh, I'm pretty sure when he got to heaven, God would have said, well done, good and faithful servant. See, maybe we don't need to know his name because we can identify with him. We just see that he was obedient, faithful, and sensible a good example for us. And the point of our life is not to get our name written in history. 
The point of our life is to do God's will, to follow God's instructions, to obey his commands, to do the work that he planned for us to do and to bring glory to him, just as this servant did. Now, the servant needs a little bit of help along the way, some guidance, some advice, so he prays. An excellent thing to do. Who do you turn to when you need advice? We asked some of the older young people on Friday night that that very same question. Some of the answers were Mum, Dad, Siri, Google. Now this week, just this week, my family bought themselves a Google Home Mini. Now we've had a lot of, lot of fun asking all sorts of uh, questions. Um, I finally found out exactly what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow. Um, some of you will understand that reference. Fascinating information. Apparently it does make a difference if it's European or, or uh, African. But we finally found out. James. James asked uh, the Google, says, do you want to build a snowman? And Google replied, the movie Frozen was released in 2013. It's time to let it go. So, <laughs> so fancy getting owned by a pre-programmed Google device. But anyway, that was a good answer. But this servant, he needs help, so he prays, which is always a good idea. And he asks for a clear and specific answer, a good, sensible prayer. Basically, he's saying, Lord, help me to do your will and carry out your plan. We know that's a good idea. 1 John 5 tells us we can have confidence that God hears us when we ask anything according to his will. And since we know that he hears us, we can also have confidence that he will give us what we ask for. And indeed, in this case, God, uh, the servant prayed and God did exactly what he had asked for. God doesn't always answer our prayers in precisely the way we ask or want or expect. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says wait. We need to be listening and continually seeking God and his will and his wisdom. But this servant had a job and he did it. And we also have jobs to do that God has given us, sometimes specific, sometimes more broadly speaking, to love God, to love others. Don't steal or kill. Don't worship anything other than God. Go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to obey all the things that God has taught us. Submit to God. Resist temptation. Flee from sexual immorality. It's a whole bunch of instructions that God has given us all. And so we all should pray for guidance to do those things properly. But this servant wanted to find the right woman for Isaac. Not just any woman, not just any good-looking woman or any rich woman or any woman who said yes. He wanted to find the right woman. So he asked God for help and for guidance. Back when I was a teenager, my parents encouraged me to be praying for the girl that I would one day marry. I didn't know who that would be, but it was good advice, and I pass that on to any young ones if you're single and um, looking ahead in life. Be praying, even now, even if you're just a teenager and it's many years away, be praying for whoever that will be that you know, God might think is a good person for you to marry. Pray for them and their life, and pray that you will be ready for that day when you meet them. But along the way, I also asked some advice of people I trusted. When I was about 19 or 20, I asked uh, one of my youth leaders, a guy called Tim, who I respected, and this particular girl in the youth group that, you know, I thought she was nice, and I asked Tim, do you think her and I would be a good match? And Tim thought for about one second and said, no. Nah. And he gave me some really good reasons, and in hindsight he was absolutely right, even though it wasn't the answer I wanted to hear at the time, but he, he was spot on. 
Then later, um, I, I did have a girlfriend. I only ever had one girlfriend before I met Tracy. But this girl, she was a new Christian, and we went out for a few months. And then one of my mates came to me and he, he said, Dave, what are you doing? And he just pointed out a few things that made it quite clear to me that um, actually she wasn't the woman that God had planned for me. And so I broke off the relationship. And again, it wasn't a comfortable conversation that day with my friend, but he was right. And in hindsight, I, I thank God for his intervention for caring enough to come and point out things to me. If you're single, you might be dreaming of being married one day and you're probably hoping to meet the perfect partner. But before you meet the right person, you need to be the right person. Because be honest and ask yourself, if you want to marry the perfect partner, is that perfect partner going to want to marry you? Now, I'm not talking about outward appearance and, you know, material things. If they're obsessed with those things, then they're not the, right, the perfect partner. I'm talking about your character. If you want someone who is faithful in loving and serving and obeying and following God, then you need to be faithfully loving and serving and following and obeying God, doing all those things yourself. Look at what we know of Rebecca. She was hardworking. She was thoughtful. She was generous. She was hospitable. She trusted God. She was a great catch, a perfect match for, to be Isaac's bride and a part of God's unfolding divine plan. Bill Newman was a, an evangelist, an Australian evangelist back in the 1980s. He used to travel around uh, preaching the gospel and calling people to Jesus. He wrote a few books, and in one of them, he gave some advice for young people about how to find the right partner for life. He said he often prayed for Miss Wright. And he says maybe, maybe he wasn't that smart and God had to make it obvious because one day he was introduced to a friend. A friend introduced him to a girl called Dorothy Wright. She was literally Miss Wright. And he realised, oh, this is God's answer to my prayer. Hello. So he married literally Miss Wright. But whenever you have important decisions to make, whether it's about relationships or career or courses or how to use your gifts for God, whatever it is, every important decision, ask God for guidance and ask some trusted Christian friends for their input and be prepared to listen, even if it's not always what you want to hear. See, in today's politically correct world, we're often told it's not okay to offend, you can't upset anyone, you can't hurt their feelings. People water down the truth in order to be liked, in order to be acceptable, in order to be politically correct. But Jesus told the truth. Jesus warned people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus warned people that those who disobey God will be sent away to eternal punishment. So we need to be truthful. And if you see a friend going into a bad relationship, care enough to be honest with them. If you see a friend heading down a path, whether it's relationship or life choices or whatever it is, heading down a path that is going to lead to heartache and misery and destruction, then love them enough to intervene, at least warn them. See, this servant had a job and he did it faithfully, loyally, he was obedient. And I hope our lives and our attitude to God will be the same. It doesn't matter what our name is, what matters what our actions are, so we can learn from this servant's example. And we learn too from this chapter and the rest of the story that doing things God's way leads to many blessings. We see that in the Bible, and you can experience that in our own lives. So Rebecca invites the servant uh, home to meet the family uh, and they meet her brother called Laban. 
Now we're going to meet Laban more in a few, few chapters. He's an interesting fellow. It's fair to say Laban was probably more excited by the value of the gifts than the chance to be part of God's divine plan. Uh, he's an interesting guy. We'll meet him again. But the servant explains his mission, his purpose for his trip, and uh, uh, Rebecca's father and brother, they both agree that this is all part of God's plan. This is God's will. Um, Rebecca still gets a choice about you know, when to go and everything. She can't be pressured or coerced. And some people see this as an illustration of evangelism. See, the servant is on a mission from Abraham to find a bride and bring her back. And we are on a mission from God, just like the Blues Brothers. We are on a mission from God to make disciples and to bring them to Jesus. But they get their own choice. We know it's a great decision. We want to do all we can to persuade them. But ultimately, we can't force them. We can't coerce them. It's their choice. They have to choose to follow Jesus, just as Rebecca chose. But Rebecca chose to go straight away. And it's also a lesson in that for us. When is the right time to serve God? Right now. See, when God calls, the more you think about it, the more your doubts and your fears might just seep in and you might sort of start to have second thoughts. The more you worry about what you're leaving behind and stepping out of your comfort zone, the more likely you may be to change your mind. So when God calls you, just say yes and get on with it. So in conclusion, how did Isaac meet Rebecca? By design, by deliberate planning, by obeying God, and including God in the process. Rebecca was just doing her job, helping people out, being kind to strangers, and then suddenly, out of the blue, a stranger appears, bearing gifts and a marriage proposal from far, far away. And we are all like Rebecca. We are all doing our life, doing our thing, just going about our everyday business, and Jesus is there. And Jesus is saying, come with me. I have gifts, peace, joy, eternal life, but you need to trust me. You need to follow me. You need to leave your old life and follow me. How would you respond if you were Rebecca? And most important, how will you respond to Jesus? Maybe you have never before said yes to Jesus and put your faith in him. Maybe this is the chance for you to do that for the first time. Or maybe you're already a Christian and it's time for you to take that next step. Maybe that's being baptised next Sunday. Whatever that is, maybe God is calling you to a deeper walk with him. The time to respond is now. Let's all pray together. Oh, Father God, it's always great uh, to be able to share your word publicly without fear. We thank you for the gifts and the insights that your word brings. We thank you for the unfolding story of your love and your plan for redemption the story that leads us to Jesus and help our lives in every way always point other people to Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.